Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. For those of you joining us for the first time, each week on our podcast, we go through a passage of scripture to examine its meaning and discover some things that might call us to do. In today's episode, Will God Really Dwell on Earth? We're looking at the story of Solomon dedicating the new temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and how God's dwelling place and God's promises are eternal. Let's get started. Looking back on the past two years, I think you might agree that it almost feels as though everything bad that can happen has been happening. The pandemic is not abating for one now that we've got the Delta and even a Lambda variant, and people are still fighting over masking and vaccinating and all the policies surrounding it. Afghanistan is back under Taliban control after 20 years, which makes the rest of the world incredibly nervous. And let's not forget your regular garden variety brands of racial tensions, political and religious scandals, corruption, natural disasters, and just a constant onslaught of various catastrophes. Everyone seems to be angry, frustrated, and just plain tired. God, intervene, please. Where are you, God? Why won't you show up? Those seem to be the kinds of prayers that we're praying most often nowadays. Well, is it possible that even as we cry out to God to solve all our problems, that we aren't making space for God? James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Yes, God is omnipresent and he watches over all things, But God does not impose his presence upon us. He will come to where we make a dwelling place for him. Which is ironic because God doesn't need a dwelling place. Solomon, as he dedicates his newly built temple, says in 1 Kings 8, verse 27, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you how much less this temple I have built? And that's the question I want us to grapple with today. Will God really dwell on earth? And what we're really asking is, is God with us today? And if so, why? Especially given all that humans are capable of, like hate and violence, for example, And everything humans are incapable of, like peace and working together, it's not even a question of wondering if God is sticking around. It's more like, why does God even bother with us? And I believe today's text in 1 Kings chapter 8 will help us answer these questions. Now, not too long ago in our series on David, we talked about how David's plan to build a house for God was shot down by God, who said that rather it would be God who would build the house for David. By that, God was talking about the Davidic dynasty to be established from which all future kings of Israel would come from, including the king of all kings, Jesus himself. And although David didn't know it at the time, the task of building the temple would go to his son Solomon, who we were introduced to in last week's episode as the one who talked to God in a dream. 
Now, Solomon acknowledges that it is really only as a result of God keeping the promise to David that Solomon even became king in the first place. It's likely that he felt he hadn't earned his position on his own merit and therefore felt he wasn't fully qualified for the job. I mean, it seems he was feeling so inadequate that it was at the forefront of his subconscious even while he was sleeping. So it makes sense that he would ask God for wisdom to fulfill his responsibilities as king. And even though all of this happened in a dream, we know that God gave Solomon unprecedented wisdom. And we know this especially because he is traditionally credited as the author of the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Bible, which are replete with wise sayings and warnings even. And in addition to the wise and discerning heart that he asked God for, he also receives wealth and honor so that no other king who came before or would come after would be his equal. And now to add to his already impressive resume, he can now say he built God's temple. And he's extremely proud of this achievement, as he has every right to be. Because he says in verse 13, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. But let's backtrack a little bit and think about why it was so important for the temple to be built. Because if you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God clearly told David that he didn't even need a temple. But back when the Israelites had escaped Egypt and were traveling through the wilderness, God, through Moses, instructed the people to build the tabernacle, which was kind of like a traveling temple, right? The Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred artifact belonging to the people of Israel, would be housed there. And this was where the people would come to encounter God's presence. But now the people weren't wandering in a desert anymore. They weren't even at war anymore with Solomon on the throne. The people of Israel were experiencing a rare period of peace and prosperity and stability. So now was actually an ideal time to take on the temple project. And prior to the temple, scripture tells us that God's people had taken to worshiping at the high places, which were customarily for the pagan Canaanite gods. By building the temple, Solomon was executing David's vision of a monotheistic kingdom that was faithful to God, to Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Solomon's prayer of dedication that we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon starts by recognizing God as the one who allowed the temple to come into existence. And you can read in 1 Kings chapter 6 just how intricate this temple was, as it was a seven-year construction project. But Solomon credits the temple to God having kept the promise made to David that one of his descendants would indeed build a temple. He says in verse 24, You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Then Solomon says what he is hoping what the temple would be used for. 
He says that even though God isn't confined to the temple walls, he prays that this place may be a focal point where people can come to pray and meet with God. Solomon prays this in verses 29 through 30. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon is saying, though the temple is not literally God's dwelling place, would God be gracious and make it his home when his people call on him? And this is how the temple becomes a powerful symbol of God's presence among the people, a place where the people could find forgiveness and experience a connection to God because God hears and responds to the prayers made in and towards this temple. Now notice I said that the temple became a symbol of God's presence. The temple was never meant to be, nor will it ever be, equivalent to God himself. The temple is not to be worshipped, but rather God is to be worshipped there. In short, any kind of house of worship is not what God was after. What God wanted was to let his people know that he would always be with them. He gave them guidelines to build a tabernacle so that they would make fellowship with God the center of their daily lives. The tabernacle moved with the people just as God was always with them wherever they went. And then God didn't ask for a building or a temple, but allowed it anyway because he knew the people would need something tangible to help them worship and to know that God was near. Okay, so what does the building of the temple have to do with us today? God says to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 12, As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. Follow my decrees, observe my laws, keep all my commands. These are three different ways of saying the same thing. Obey God, and God will deliver. Even Solomon had praised God with these words in chapter 8, verse 23. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. But predictably, Solomon and God's people in general did not continue wholeheartedly in God's way. They did not follow God's decrees, observe God's laws, keep all God's commands. And even after Solomon had dedicated this beautiful new temple to God, he didn't ban worship at the high places. In fact, later on, he built more of them on behalf of the numerous wives he had and the gods they worshipped. And God knew this. God knew this would happen. God knew that humans would disappoint. But God does not renege on his end of the deal. See, 
God didn't enter into a contractual relationship with his people such that if they didn't comply, then God would forego the promises he had made. No, he made in Solomon's words, a covenant of love whereby God never falters on his promise. He would be with them even though the people would surely walk out on God over and over again. And of course, there were consequences to what they did. The kingdom gets divided in two following Solomon's reign, and most of the northern and southern kings defied God and neglected the people, ultimately being overtaken by neighboring kingdoms and being forced into exile. And even though these tragedies were a result of their disobedience to God, God still doesn't abandon the people. He still raises up prophets and leaders to remind the people that God is still in this covenant relationship with them. And a greater king than Solomon would come and free them all forever. That king being Jesus Christ, of course. So now we circle back to this question, will God really dwell on earth? And the answer is yes, God never left. And not just in physical temples, but among his people. As undeserving as we are, God upholds the covenant of love with his people, which now include you and me. We are each a temple, God's dwelling place. That means regardless of what you do, God will always be for you and with you. Now, how arrogant were we to previously think that God's love for us was contingent upon our good behavior, as though we can control or justify God's love for us? Because isn't that why whenever we sin, we tend to hide from God, stop coming out to church, and fall deeper and deeper into our messes? Because clearly there's no way God could still love us after what we've done. But what God wants from us is for us to come near to him. Come near to him, and he will not push you away. He will not ignore you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So I want to close us in prayer today by reading the full text of Solomon's prayer of dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 30, in the message translation. And as you pray along with me, think about what kind of temple or dwelling place you have been making for God previously. Will God want to inhabit there? And even if you think the answer is no, don't run from God, but rather pray that your heart and your life may be a more fitting and pleasing place for God to dwell. Let's pray. O God, God of Israel, there is no God like you in the skies above or on the earth below who unswervingly keeps covenant with his servants and relentlessly loves them as they sincerely live in obedience to your way. You kept your word to David, your personal word. You did exactly what you promised, every detail. The proof is before us today. Keep it up, God, O God of Israel. Continue to keep the promises you made to David when you said, 
You'll always have a descendant to represent my rule on Israel's throne, on the condition that your sons are as careful to live obediently in my presence as you have. O God of Israel, let this all happen. Confirm and establish it. Can it be that God will actually move into our neighborhood? Why, the cosmos itself isn't large enough to give you breathing room, let alone this temple I've built. Even so, I'm bold to ask. Pay attention to these my prayers, both intercessory and personal, O God, my God. Listen to my prayers, energetic and devout, that I'm setting before you right now. Keep your eyes open to this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name will be honored there, and listen to the prayers that I pray at this place. Listen from your home in heaven, and when you hear, forgive. Amen.